Welcome to episode 84 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This episode, I sit down with my mother-in-law, Sandy Cullum, whose journey with Jesus is one that has directly impacted and benefited my family. Sandy is a prayer warrior in the truest sense of the word, and she has also been a prayer mentor to many women. Today, she spends some time mentoring us, and I believe you will walk away with a longing to meet with Jesus. Honestly, this conversation is near and dear to my heart. It is raw and honest as Sandy shares her season of darkness with us and how she would cry out to a God she wasn't sure she believed in anymore. Have you ever met someone who spoke and shared about God and it didn't feel like he was far off, but instead there was this, this unexplainable nearness, a real friendship, a mutual mindset, as Jim Wilder describes it. And you know, you simply know they don't just think about God, but they interact and meet with God. Well, that is Sandy. Here is a small glimpse into her heart. And so those prayers that I had prayed for Sam and his wife, I couldn't pray during this time, but God was holding them from the time when I had been able to pray them. And he was working them in your lives because he's not bound by time. I mean, he's, you know, he created, he's at the center of all time and sees it all. I have no doubt after listening to today's episode, your heart will be tender and open to meeting with the living God. Sandy does reference several resources she has used. If you are interested in those resources or other Grace Enough episodes she mentioned, they are all linked in my show notes. Go to graceenoughpodcast.com backslash show notes and search episode 84. So now I am honored to share my conversation with my mother-in-law, my friend, and my sister in Christ. Sandy Cullum. This is episode 84, When Your Faith Walk Changes. Today, my mother-in-law, Sandy, is with me, and she is somebody that people in my life know I love and respect, and they often ask me to hear her story. So welcome. Hi, Amber. For people who may be listening who know very little about our family, introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing in your life right now and your family. I uh, just turned 65. David and I will have been married. We'll celebrate our, oh my goodness, 45th anniversary in December, I think. Yay. Um, yay. It's amazing <laughs> you that made we're it. still married. <laughs> I remember that time you and Sam uh, sent us the me a voicemail that said, we're glad you're still married <laughs> for our anniversary. That's and I thought, yeah, that's pretty amazing that we're still married. <laughs> um, so I am I am married to my husband of many years. We're very different people. And um, sons, Kyle and your husband, Sam, and um, just daughters-in-law that I just love mm-hmm. that are such a gift to me and um, our seven grandkids. So Gosh. right now, there's seven I'm of in us. Transition time <laughs> for them. <laughs> I think there are. You didn't feel like that when they were at your house. Oh yes, I did. And so at this point in time, I'm um, transitioning out of the office 
and to having more time at home. And it's a time of me really just waiting on God and asking him to reveal what he wants me to do, um, what he wants from me and how he wants to share his life through me uh, for this rest season of my life. Yeah, and when she says office, uh, we, well, they have a family business. And so they're, yeah, together all the time, all the columns (laughs) together a lot, (laughs) except for we're up in North Carolina now. So what we're going to chat about today are many things, but mostly um, they have to do with your walk with Jesus and you've walked with him for a long time. And so just to get us started in that Take us back to when you first became a Christ follower and tell us a little bit about that and also a little bit about what your childhood was like. Okay, um, I will start with childhood, which was uh, in New York, rural New York. My parents, um, I just have great parents. Uh, They provided a great deal of security for us. I lived down the street from my grandmother and my cousins, a little bit like you. Um, but had a lot of time to play outside and go exploring. We had a creek nearby. We had big rocks that we could uh, go exploring on. There was an orchard, a house down. My parents did take me to church regularly. And my earliest memories of church are just that it was a happy place. We moved to Florida um, when I was seven. When we moved to the first house my parents bought, we made friends with a family who belonged to the Salvation Army Church. And I went to a Salvation Army Vacation Bible School with the kids. I remember nothing about the Bible School except that a lady made a presentation from the wordless book, which was just that blank book of colors, of different pages of colors, telling a story about we are black with sin and the red blood of Jesus Christ, and he makes us white as snow. And I mean, those haven't been in use for decades and decades. But people do still use them on bracelets and things like that, where they'll say this bead that's white is God washing away our sins. So that's very prevalent. It's just different. Okay. And all I remember was that presentation that she made and me thinking, I want to be good. Hmm. I want to be clean. So she just invited us in a real simple prayer, how to ask Jesus into our life. And I did that. And almost immediately, I started growing. I went to a small neighborhood church, a free Methodist church that was like two blocks away. I was there every time we had something going on. The people who went there, you would just describe them as a lot of older simpler, everyday people. They loved God. And the pastor's wife talked about in a whisper like this, and she could hold the entire class with her flannel graph stories. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it was just great. It was just a church where there was, I felt there was a lot of prayer model for me. It was the old time church where people stood up and gave testimonies on Sunday, and people would regularly go to the altar during prayer time and just cry out to God. So I had this great model for me. And I just started soaking up the Bible stories. And I remember in sixth grade asking God to help me with my temper. That's the first time I really remember asking him to help me with something and seeing that he was making changes in me. So I stayed at that church until after David and I were married and we were coming back from Asbury College. We were at that church for a little bit, and then we moved to a very large Baptist church in our area. So that is amazing that you were at the same church 
all through your teen years. And even as a young adult, I mean, I know when you lived in Kentucky, you obviously didn't go there all the time, but probably if you came back and visited, you would, I'm assuming. Yes, most likely. And I had for a short time when I came back, I was the director of Sunday school, the director of Christian education there on just a volunteer position. So then when you guys moved back to Florida, where was that small church? That's what I should ask. It's in Largo. It's still there. I mean, it's it was really right in the middle of a, of a small residential neighborhood. Well, this brings up when you were a young mom living back in Florida. What were days like? <laughs> I just, I need to know they're a little bit like my days are. <laughs> when you okay. had two young kids and like what, how you were involved in church, you were involved in so many things. So talk to us a little bit about that season. Yeah, it was a happy time in a lot of ways. But for me, emotionally, it felt like a lot of chaos, a lot of days. Um, David and I are, my husband and I are very different personalities. We look at the world differently. We listen differently. We solve problems differently. We still have poor communication skills with each other, even though we've been working on it. Um, I never heard my parents fight. Never, ever heard my parents disagree in front of me. And I got married to this man that wakes up at five o'clock or 530. And he's loud the moment he's start, you know, wakes up and I'm like, statement. (laughs) So we just, and he was under a great deal of stress at work. He was an electrician and then he got, was made supervisor. And then because of problems his dad was having emotionally, his dad was pushing him into leadership Mm -hmm. way before David ever felt ready. And at times, Russ would just take off and leave the business with David. And so here's this young man having to do all kinds of things that he hasn't a clue and doesn't feel equipped to do. Mm-hmm. And so that created a lot of stress That's right. in our marriage. And also, I'd gone into marriage thinking I was mature for my age. <laughs> um, I'd gone into motherhood thinking I was well prepared. And oh my goodness, that just that just knocked me flat on my butt. Amen. Um, me too. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I had two boys and it knocked me flat on my butt. And, and I was every day just crying out to God. I mean, people have asked me, how do you how did you become such a woman of prayer? And I was like, because I couldn't handle life. Mm. I couldn't life. I was desperate, mm-hmm. even though it was a happy time. I realized I didn't have any friends to speak of. I had this rich inner life with God, but I didn't have any friends. So I reached out in my neighborhood, just did cold calls and invited <laughs> some people, invited some people to an ornament um, making session and uh, that I intended to be a little bit evangelistic. And from that, I had two uh, women that became acquaintances and friends that I little by little discipled them a little bit, led them to the Lord and discipled them. After that time, I started going to an exercise class at church where I made some friends um, that was music along with the exercise. And I started meeting with them. And in each of these instances, as well as one good friend that I had had from church, the same church that I was in when I had all those growing up years, I would just ask them if they wanted to meet me 
meet with me for a little bit of Bible study and uh, we'd memorize some scriptures and we'd talk with one another and we'd pray together. So with each of those scenarios, the one is an individual, you know, three of them were as individuals and then three of them I'd meet with them as a group. And that was pretty much the format. And it was like a, a navigator study or a mm. campus crusade study, those little tiny booklets where I just I didn't have to prepare for it. I was doing the same work that they were doing. And we were just meeting together, going over our answers, praying, sharing with one another. Well, so how old were Kyle and Sam at this point? They were um, preschoolers. So they were home with you? Like, did they go with you during this? Because these are questions yes. like my friends ask all the time. And did your friends have kids? So everybody was just kind of like, what? What happened? Yes, they were with me at home. And my friends had kids. And the kids were there. And they were noisy. And uh, there were enough times of Kyle getting in fights with people that I remember that stopping. Um <laughs> <laughs> at times but some of them had girls so that made you know made it a little better my my one friend had girls um and yeah we just had the kids together yeah and we would go to a playground and um we'd sit and talk while they were while they were doing that but it was just that was that was the life you know we had the kids and the kids were with us yeah. And I mean, I think what stands out to me there is that, you know, I do that, but I tend to struggle. And I think a lot of, I mean, my friends do too, of being intentional with our Bible study or praying time together because we feel so distracted by the kids. So just embracing that and realizing, first, it doesn't last forever. And right. second, it can be done. Um, it's okay if you get interrupted. You know, those are the things that I struggle with. I don't want to be interrupted. I just want to be able to focus or whatever. But um, if we wait for things to be perfect, they just don't happen. Right. That's very, very true. I've had that happen myself where, you know, I've just dropped things because it took me too long to get them done. And it was like, well, maybe this isn't even needed anymore. You know, just that whole thing of it has to be perfect. Right. To pass it on to another person. But yeah, those were noisy times with a lot of interruptions from kids and needing to stop and pay attention to them. But it was one of the things that I was learning as a mom that I still needed to make my kids the most important thing mm. that when they came to me, I needed to stop and I needed to look at them and I needed to listen to what they had to say mm. and then go back. I didn't ever learn that. Well, Amber, that was just the goal I was shooting for. <laughs> That's a good reminder for me, Sandy, <laughs> as you've seen yeah. me many times be like, leave me alone. I'm trying to talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, something, though, that I have said time and time again, and you've heard it in this space because you are so kind to always listen to me and encourage me, is that I believe, you know, wholeheartedly that your prayers in so many ways for Sam and myself I mean, protected me, led me closer to Jesus when we didn't even know each other, um, because you are a woman of prayer. And so I just want you to maybe share a few tips or a few things that you have found invaluable in learning to pray and be in this intimate conversation with Jesus. Oh, this could be a whole hour podcast by itself. So I will try to go through it quickly. Um, 
it really helps to be desperate. And I don't think there's any wrong, anything wrong with being desperate. Mm. I wanted to fix myself. I wanted, I definitely wanted to fix my husband. Good luck with that. Um, for any wife, I wanted to fix my children. You know, mm. I wanted to have a life that felt right and was according to what I saw in God's word and ours really wasn't. And so I, that's what brought prayer to me. And it really was this crying out because I had an advantage then because we didn't have much money. And even though I have this full library now, I had almost no books then. I had no internet and having the internet alone makes it's it's this huge resource that's there that you can turn to first mm-hmm. instead of turning to God first. Mm. And and you don't have that and you're alone at home many hours by yourself with your kids. David works like 70 hour weeks or more. Gosh. Then you turn to God because you don't have I didn't have a cell phone mm-hmm. and I couldn't stay on the one phone in the house because the kids were outside doing who knows what out there, you know, in my neighborhood where my house was just about the only house with preschoolers with all these retirees around me. Yeah. You know, they, they would let me know when my kids were, if, they, the were out running, <laughs> if they were running naked in the front yard, I'd hear about it, you know, it was usually in a nice way, but so I couldn't stay on the phone. Yeah. And that's why I first started reaching out to other women. Because I thought, I've got to have somebody else to walk through this with me. But being desperate in prayer helps a lot. I would say that practicing daily thanksgiving, although people see it as a, spe- a separate spiritual practice, it's a huge part of prayer. Amen. And during those very early years, when they were still preschoolers, I had this uh, sheet of paper about as big as the window behind you. Um, that was on the wall in my living room. And I would just write on it because we had a very small house and I was in that living room or could see it from other areas much of the day. And I needed to keep my mind on what I did have Mm. instead of what I didn't have and thought I needed. I needed that practice of writing down in journals every day, things I was thankful for and being able to see it in front of my eyes. So to me, you might think that that's not prayer, but if you're keeping any kind of a Thanksgiving paper on your wall or a log of some sort, or you have it as a daily practice, that's prayer. Yeah. It enables you to walk right into the throne room. Mm. And I think the next thing is to cultivate quiet. And that's what I see as by far the biggest challenge for people today in our culture, Mm -hmm. social media, all the streaming that's available, just our our phones constantly going off that we really, prayer is as much listening and hearing what God is saying to us as it is what we're saying to God. Mm -hmm. And if our phone is constantly going off, then we don't have even any quiet space, enough quiet space in our life to let him speak to us Mm -hmm. because he doesn't do it in those uh, two minute silence periods often between texts and notifications. Yeah. And 
So that would be for this generation, that would probably be in the top three. My top three biggest tips are Thanksgiving, cultivate quiet and scripture prayers. Hmm. I agree completely with the cultivating quiet. And you know, that's something that Sam and I have been a bit more on a journey of recently. And I feel like the more I try to cultivate it, the worse I get. But I've learned that that's part of how it feels for a while until you keep doing it and keep doing it. But just some practical things for people listening. Something that I have learned being a, a product of this tech age is sometimes I just have to go on that walk and leave the phone at home. No music, no earbuds, and I don't do it enough. So I am not patting my back because most of the time I am totally distracted. But I will say that's one practical thing. Go take that walk and don't take any of the things with you. Do you have anything else that you would say maybe right now that somebody could do to just make the attempt towards it? Because I feel like even as I'm speaking, there's somebody going, well, I can't leave my phone at home. Something might happen to me. Because we're so fear generated and so used to having it as a crutch now. Yes, um, I do take my phone with me most of the time when I'm on a walk or a bike ride in case I have a malfunction in the bike or my husband needs to get me, you know, because I don't want to. You never have your phone on. Yes. But I would just say put your phone on do not disturb. Yeah. During time and just say to yourself if you're going for a 30 minute walk I will check it in 15 minutes and see if anything has come through that I must attend to or I'll check it in you know 30 minutes if it's an hour walk I like you I never was really able to hear God when I was running because running was too hard work for me well I don't Mm -hmm. remember hearing it but on walks a lot yeah a lot on walks and swimming laps is a marvelous prayer time for me now Because you're quiet and you're under the water. And so the world is quiet too. Yes. And the prayers that I pray while I'm swimming are almost always, they become breath prayers. Yes. Because my rhythm is one, two, three, breathe, one, two, three, breathe. And so it's perfect for every time my arm moves, you know, one or two words of the phrase that I've chosen is Mm -hmm. that. And it's also a very vivid reminder to me of one of the prayer pictures that God has given me of throwing people into the river of life from Revelation 21. And I'm swimming. And so I'm just throwing this person in the river of life with God. Or a lot of times it's that's easy for me as a contemplative prayer to just hold the person there while I'm swimming. Wow. And know that God is with me and that I've just placed them there. There's not words necessarily going on other than bless him, heal them, have mercy, Lord. I would say scripture prayer for me has been life changing. I know you had um, Jody. Yes, Jody Burnt. Burnt. And she was actually, my kids were already grown pretty much when I first saw that she had written that book. But sometime before my kids, um, before we had Kyle, I believe a pastor had preached a sermon um, from Ephesians, either Ephesians 5 or 6 about the spiritual warfare and the weapons of our warfare and the sword of the spirit. And either he said something or I just had a light go on during that time of, oh, I should be praying actual words of scripture. Yeah. And it's it's easy for mothers in particular to think that praying scripture prayers are magic. 
Um, mm. If I do, my prayer will get answered. And there's, it's okay. Don't, don't get on yourself for that. That's how I went to prayer and started in prayer that way. Because we want these living words of God. We want to bring back to him these living words mm. for our family. Because those he will surely listen to. And he does surely listen to those prayers. But he also gives us free will. Mm. And what I have found is that I definitely use scripture prayers a lot. I would do the same thing that Jody talked about doing, seeing things in my children that um, I was wanting to pray about, like Kyle and, and Sam fighting so much. And I really and I really wanted them to be friends when they were adults. And I took one of the prayer, I took some scripture from Ephesian and some other places, and I would just write it out on a piece of paper and leave blanks for their names. And then I would pray it. And I remember, I don't know how many years later, after I'd been praying that first season, realizing, I think they were still in school at some point of high school or college then, and realizing that, wow, they were really good friends now. But the thing about the scripture prayers is, um, and I started with prayers from Ephesians, the actual prayers that Paul recorded in Ephesians and Philippians. I prayed at least one of those. I think it's the one from Ephesians 3 about praying that uh, the person will know the height and depth and breadth of God's love. I prayed that for a season of years Mm. every day for my husband and my father-in-law for healing in both within them individually and in their relationship. And when you pray those kinds of prayers for people, God changes your heart. Mm. And you're able to then accept things that may come into your life or their life that you wouldn't have asked for. But you can look at it and say, oh, God may be answering this particular prayer. Or you can look back then at other seasons and say, oh, wow, he was answering this prayer, but it didn't happen until decades later. Yeah. But I found that praying those kinds of prayers, I prayed Psalm 103 for David for a very long time. And the prayer that I pray for my father-in-law, it just makes your heart tender mm. towards the person that you're praying for. Mm. So, yeah, be desperate. Thanksgiving, get quiet. Use scripture prayers. I will give you some um, resources if you want to put them in your show notes. Sure. The, fa- the face-to-face books by Ken Boa are just marvelous for just helping you through the process of prayer. The other thing that I would say is um, I've learned, too, when I am by myself, I pray my prayers out loud. I especially pray my scripture prayers out loud and there's lots of times where I'm just saying, okay, God, I'm going to read this scripture to you. And I read it out loud to him because it gives me an awareness of his presence. And if, as I'm reading it out loud, I will realize, oh, this is a prayer I need for me right now or for this person. I'll go ahead and then put their names in. And if you just get in the habit of reading scripture out loud, then you'll find yourself more easily moving into the scripture prayers that God's spirit is directing you to, not necessarily that you're getting from Jody's book right. or someone else's book from their journey yeah. with the Holy Spirit. 
you will find that he's opening up more and more and more scripture passages for you to pray. I mean, the book of Psalms, obviously, is filled with so many. But I will say, you're right that sometimes when you just have that guide, and then if you begin as you're reading, you'll have somebody on your heart. And for example, just this week, I was reading through Nehemiah. And the Mm -hmm. very first chapter of Nehemiah, I mean, he is praying about, you know, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. And it is a prayer that is incredibly applicable to our current situation in our world. And I just Mm -hmm. found myself, because you and I had talked a little bit about prayer, and you had sent me a couple things that I'd read, and I found myself just praying that prayer out loud for our world, for our country, for people who say they are followers of Jesus to truly be followers of Jesus. Um, And then the same thing with John 17, it is a prayer that I have prayed for my kids, like I have the blank there over and over again, because it's Jesus himself playing, praying for people who don't know him yet, for people mm-hmm. who do know him, and then also for his disciples. It's very, very specific, and it is an incredible prayer. It is. Yeah, and so it is interesting how that just happens. Um, it's just like anything else. Whatever we practice is what we do. Yes. And and the more you practice reading scripture out loud and praying scripture prayers, the easier it becomes. Yeah. So I'll get Jody's book. The face to face books helped me immensely. There was a season of time, uh, particularly during a temptation of a consistent ongoing temptation that was lasting. I think it lasted over a year where I was praying through scriptures that Beth Moore had compiled from praying praying God's word. Yeah, breaking free from spiritual strongholds. Back in the day, uh, Stormy Omartian or Omartian had yeah. the power of wife. Um, I did those, but those just so quickly, you know, they can teach those tools are marvelous. That's right. They can um, help you do the scripture prayers on your own, but you shouldn't ever feel bad about Jews using just them. Getting back into praying in the years after um, my great season of darkness, I needed to use the Ken Boa books, and I I still turn to them regularly now. Um, It's just a great tool. Well, and that's something too. I mean, I want to go into this mentorship question, but because you brought it up, I am really tempted to go ahead and just talk a little bit about what some people refer to as the dark night of the soul. By the time um, I had come in to Sam's life, you were in a different place than the the Sandy that uh, my husband describes pre, um, well, I'll let you tell the story, but just walk us through that. What happened? You had this close relationship with Jesus where you would have called him your best friend, but you did enter into a season where everything you had known came into question. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you had asked me to think about what led to that season Mm -hmm. of doubt and wrestling with all that I had believed to be true. And there's a big tendency to whitewash when you're looking back so long at this and to make yourself appear better. And um, so I've had this quote about humility while I've been working on this, you know, which is basically facing reality and not needing to be anything else. And so that's what I've asked God for as I've been going back through these over a dozen journals trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what. 
Um, the years before what I now describe as a season of doubt, it definitely for a, at least a couple years was agnosticism. I couldn't even say doubt. I had to say agnosticism. Mm -hmm. And when someone would say to me, oh, well, this is the dark night of the soul. I would say, well, I've read about the dark night of the soul and I've read, you know, Mother Teresa's, the book about Mother Teresa's dark night of the soul. And I, yeah. but you need to understand, I've walked away from God. Wow. And I don't think it's exactly the same, even though I would have liked it to have been the same. But now as I look back, of you having me do this, I do kind of think it was a dark night of the soul. So anyway, the five or six years previous to this time were super busy in ministry. I had quit work when Kyle started college, which created a huge thing in David's and my relationship with our family business and his dream that I would be beside him in the business. Um, but anyway, I quit work because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. At some point, I got to the place where every day of the week, I was meeting with either an individual or a gr small group of people to pray one-on-one -on -one together or to pray for things like a community-wide movements and organizations of Christians um, the Billy Graham crusade, the promise keepers when they came, you know, I would be involved in those kinds of groups. Plus I was meeting with parents. I was meeting for prayer for their kids on the school campus. I was meeting with teachers that God had just in my time of listening prayer, God would say, you need to write this person a note. Um, I met with um, a couple female administrators and leaders, several of them within the church. And they were almost always, this will surprise you, but at my invitation, hmm. I would have them on my mind and I, or I'd be praying about something and God would say, contact this person and see if she wants to meet you on a regular basis for prayer. At one point, one of the, my dearest prayer mentors, I gave a short seminar during their music staff retreat. And she said, give me tips on prayer. Tell me what to do. And I went back and prayed about it. And I felt like God said, this, this woman has, she probably is a type one now, you know, knowing <laughs> the Enneagram. But, you know, she's got way more things on her plate than she needs. She just needs to experience my presence. Mm -hmm. And I found that that's was, that was what God had gifted me for and equipped me for at that time. Mm -hmm. Just being with people and leading them into the presence of God and teaching them how to use scripture prayers and how to listen to God in prayer. So that was, had been go was going on for five years. And during the year, uh, shortly before, a couple of years before my doubt really started, I ha started having a lot of dreams in what I interpreted as prophetic words or words of knowledge, which I was familiar with. Now, keep in mind, I'm in a Baptist church with all male pastors, and consistently, more and more through that time, I'm being told, go to this pastor and talk to them about this, yeah. or send a note to this pastor and encourage them in this way. And it wasn't correction most of the time. Most of the time, it was encouragement. Mm -hmm. um, but prophetic words aren't generally received real well in that kind of setting. And there were a couple times, even several times, 
where I remember God saying, all right, you got to make yourself really transparent and vulnerable here, Sandra. I want you to copy out these pages of your prayer journal and just send them to this pastor. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you know, and so it was those kinds of assignments that I felt like in following the Holy Spirit, it was always this battle every week. Am I hearing this just for me? Is this only for intercessory purposes that I am hearing this? Am I supposed to pass this along to someone else? During that long season, I felt like that God had kind of given me this verse. I think it's from Isaiah 50. I've lost so many scripture memories, um, memorizations during my many years away. But the Lord wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught, to know the word. And I think it was in in the context of a word of encouragement for someone else. I'll have to look it up for you. Mm. But I think it's Isaiah 50. And so I was always battling with that. And that took... That took a lot out of me. Yeah. And because some of those had gotten particularly intense right before that season of doubt. So I had about five years like that, where that ministry was just more and more mentors, mentorees that I was working in. It was all prayer mentoring. But I was seeing success with most of them, not not all of them. And I would give some up at times when God would say, you've done everything I want you to do here, yep. move on. And then in 2004, I prayed this prayer. It's what I call the dangerous prayer. And I've written in my blog about it. And I went back and I'll give you the blog post for these specific ones. But I was doing the Beth Moore study on uh, the beloved disciple, John. And she asks you at the beginning of that study to spend time in prayer and figure out what your deepest desire is. Mm. And so I did that for about a month or six weeks. One night when I was coming home from the Bible study, I remember it was raining, and I remember I just started almost shouting, God, I want them to know you. I want them to know you like I know you. And I was praying for my husband. I was praying for Kyle and his wife, Michelle, and I was praying for Sam, and I was praying for his future wife. And when I prayed that prayer, I knew that reality was changing and that my whole family as a result of that prayer was stepping into or through a different door Mm. and I didn't tell anybody about it because I knew things were going to change and you know you don't want to hear later that your mother prayed for this kind of crap for you (laughs) (laughs) no we're all grateful for it now but at the time yeah And so I didn't tell anybody, but I wrote it down. I still have that letter. You know, I tucked it away. But I knew, I knew way down inside me that things were going to change. And Kyle and Michelle had gotten married by then. They were in India, in Calcutta, you know, ministering with Word Made Flesh among the very poor people. Life was extremely hard for them. And Kyle had already been there long enough. It was pretty much past the time that others had said pretty much everybody burns out in Calcutta within this time frame. And they were either there or they were past it. He wasn't sure he even believed in God anymore at that point. Poor Michelle, you know, how to start out a marriage, going to a place like that. And I look back now, that prayer in January of 2004, and I know that that's when my family went through that other door, you know, Mm. door number two. That's right. (laughs) 
the, concurrently, I went back to work five days a week. I'd started in the fall three days a week because David needed me to try to resolve a problem in people, which I was not able to do successfully. But I went back to work full time. And also at that same time, my primary mentorees of the closest ones were all for one reason or another dissolving and going away. Um, they moved into different positions where they no longer had time for it. Right. One woman just had to leave home out of safety. One of them was really feeling like God was prompting her to learn all about current present day giftings of the Holy Spirit. And she's in a Baptist church with a Baptist pastor. And she said, Sandy, I got to stop meeting with you because I feel like I'm supposed to do this completely on my own. Mm. And I said, great, I understand. And I did. I really felt like God was saying, she needs to have the same kind of faith walk that you did, Sandy. But I missed these two in particular immensely because they had become just so much a part of my heart. Yeah. I had a close pastoral friend that um, I had to kind of step away from at that time because he was really struggling in his marriage with his wife. So I had all those things going on, and this was all happening when there was all kinds of life changes. Menopause wreaked havoc on me. I got so little sleep, my brain couldn't work correctly. My morning walks that had been this rock foundation went out of the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't sleeping at night, and so I was trying to go back to sleep again in the morning. Both our dads were in very much declining health at that time. David's dad died in the fall of 2004. My dad died right after Father's Day in 2005. And I was driving back and forth to my mom and dad's house a couple hours away um, to spend time with them. Kyle and Michelle came back from India in uh, February of 2005 and moved in with us for, I think I counted up like seven months. I didn't think it was that long. Isaac was born. She was seven months pregnant when they came back, and he was born, and they lived with us. And so they were concurrently trying to—Kyle's in a new job. Yep. They're trying to adjust back to this culture, huge culture shock mm -hmm. from Calcutta. They're having to live—Michelle's got to live with her mother-in-law, and you know what that was like. <laughs> um, and, you know, this here I am, this woman who thinks I know everything. And it was hard for them, too. Plus, yeah. they came so broken, yeah. so broken emotionally and spiritually. It was just really, really hard. Sam, during this time, was walking through all these waves of pain, physical, relational, with women, you know, before you. And our dads were dying. And in the middle of that, two of David's closest friends died on the same day in an airplane crash. Yeah. And I really struggled processing that. And David had no time to process any of that. And he just, he's always struggled with his weight because weight has been his coping mechanism. I mean, eating has been his coping mechanism. And he just ballooned. You can see the time of the worst stress. Yeah. I look back at those pictures now and although during my dark time, I felt like God wasn't answering or hearing any of my prayers, I know that for my husband to be alive, he was taking care of him. Mm. My husband had been asked to be on that plane trip with the two that died. I didn't even remember that. So I looked in my um, 
journal this last week. I said, David. And he declined because he knew he was just going to be getting back from Alaska the day before with his brother. And he also had had an extremely strong premonition the entire week before that something really bad was going to happen with his airport friends. These are all pilots. Wow. Yeah. Your audience. These are all private pilot guys. It started the darkness for me. I those factors were going on and I knew they were really stressful, but I didn't think I wasn't aware that they were affecting my theology or my belief system at the time. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, but that says a lot, Sandy, because isn't that the case for so many of us? Our theology is impacted a lot of times by our circumstances. Oh, yes. Yes. And my theology, my ability to even think in a logical way, was so much impacted by menopause. Mm. I mean, me, any woman who's going through the kind of menopause I had should get a pass <laughs> for her behavior. <laughs> for I'm so certain, scared. For a certain length of time. Well, others don't have it that bad, you know, but from what we've talked about. I know, about, but I have to, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm like going on a side note because I've told some of my friends this, but, and they laugh all the time. I'm like, I'll never forget. My mother-in-law was like, I had this lady who either she cleaned houses with you or something. And she said, yeah, when I was going through the change, I remember just taking off all my clothes and running and getting in the pool. And she said, I thought she was crazy. And now I find myself taking off all my clothes and laying on the tile, just hoping I cool down a little bit. That'll be me one day naked on the floor. That could be you one day. So wait a minute. Do you even have any tile at your house? Yeah, in the bathroom. Oh, well, upstairs. Oh, because those wood floors, they just don't get cold enough. (laughs) You gotta have have the tile floor for that. So anyway, I had all those things, all these huge factors going on in my life that I can see looking back. But at the time, it just felt to me like all of a sudden I couldn't believe God or the Bible anymore. Mm. It felt like it came on very quick. Mm. I look back in my journals and I see, no, this was at least a whole year in process. And all through, um, even up to the very last journal entries that I had before I stopped writing I was writing father I need you to show me the scriptures I need now I feel so lost so unable to hear you or help my family through my intercession for them father who can I talk with about this who will understand and point me and push me in the right direction save me save us Lord save us from ourselves renew faith in us again that was in mid-may 2005 going through all this In February of the 2006, I wrote, oh, God, you know, I had a lot of prayers like that. Mm. Just, you know, I'd get down on my knees. And that's all I would say was, you know, you know, all the movements of my heart, all the desperate cries, all the longings, all the despair. And I was despairing. The feeble hopes, the weariness and deep sorrow. You are my God. You know, have mercy on us, Lord have mercy. So I was having these intellectual doubts. Mm -hmm. And all I knew was that the Bible, I wasn't trusting the Bible anymore, the way I had it, where it had been a living book, Mm -hmm. it was becoming a dead book. I was really struggling with evolution versus creationism. Mm -hmm. Um, I still don't have that one all the way worked out. 
I read a couple, I read a book by um, Francis Collins, um, The Language of God. He's the DNA guy. He read, he uh, led the DNA team at the National Institute of Health, I think it was. I read Saving Darwin by Carl Giberson or Giberson. I can give you the links for those. And those helped me some, but not enough because right before Colin Michelle came back from India, David and I had gone to India, to Calcutta with Michelle's parents because they wanted us to see yeah. what it was like and what they had been through. And I expected to come back with all kinds of stories from my friends. I had, I don't know, 20 or more friends that I wrote to on these long missives on a regular basis about what God was doing in my life and just encouragements for them for prayer. And I came back unable to put together two or three coherent sentences about what we had experienced yeah. and what I was going through. And that alone propelled me into this deep dive suffering into the world. This is when there were a lot of news reports and even articles in Christianity Today about the, I think, what's his name, Charles Taylor, the Liberation Army, the Lord's Rebel Army in Uganda, yes. where, was using, where they would kidnap, they'd come into a village and just desecrate you know, massacre the village and and take the children and make them kill children them. soldiers. Yes, it was just, awful. It was just awful, awful, awful. And so I had all this lament. It was just days and weeks and months of God. What about this? And what about this? And why are you letting these people do this to these children? How on earth can this child? ever grow up and hear about a God who loves mm -hmm. and say, that's what I want. Uh, just a lots and lots of lament. Yeah. At one point after David's friends had died, when I was having this question, because I was having this, uh, I was also having a lot of problems with Jacob. Have I loved Esau? Have I hated mm -hmm. um, God's preference and his choosing? Um, he's worked out some of that. A fair amount of that with me, but not all. And I remember at one point sitting at the computer with the World Vision website up, and I was looking at the kids to be adopted right then because I had decided that we, uh, I think I had decided we would adopt one of these kids in honor of one of the fellows, my friends, uh, my mm. husband's that had died. And there was a boy named Esau. It was a kind of like a challenge that I threw at God, but it was also and probably more so a challenge that he threw at me mm. because I thought Esau, this kid's probably, well, where he was, he was actually in Uganda Wow. and he was probably a Muslim and I was looking through these and I think I kind of, um, I was saying, what can you do? Somebody who's named Esau, what chance does he have? And what I felt like I heard back was sponsor him and find out. Wow. So it was kind of like God was throwing the question back on me, you know. So, oh, those kinds of things were going on, you know. But it was mostly coming across in my heart as I didn't believe the word of God anymore. It just became this totally dead book. I want people to know, too, that this wasn't something that just lasted a year or oh, no. two years. No. Or three years. No. And I don't say that so that people are like, 
oh my gosh, you know, she never comes back or I don't want to ever experience that. But I say it more that I think more people experience these seasons of doubts than we care to recognize or acknowledge. And I think they're a lot more normal than our quote unquote evangelical Christian society would like to tell. Yes, definitely. Um, I have one blog entry that I will send to you called Mercy One, which although I posted it in like 2012, it was from like six years before that. And it was the first time of me trying to sort through things. And at one another place I found where I made an entry that it was six years ago that I prayed the dangerous prayer. Mm. And so I know that it went at least, I was still working my way out of it at six and seven years. I would say the hardcore agnosticism probably started about two to two and a half years after the dangerous prayer, a year to a year and a half after Colin Michelle came home from Calcutta, probably after Prema. Yeah. Um, with all of her attendant problems. And it was a very, very long time. But the real the really weird part of it, Amber, is I know now that prayers that I prayed back in two thousand three and two thousand four and five in 2006 God was holding in that bowl you know that bowl of incense which is the prayers of the saints to release them later in my life I wrote in as late as March 29 2006 I wonder if I will ever wholeheartedly believe in the God I used to know again if my thoughts about God will ever again resonate with certainty rather than sound hollow and empty, like a wisp of a long-ago dream. Oh, God, have mercy on me. And so those prayers that I had prayed for Sam and his wife, I couldn't pray during this time, but God was holding them from the time when I had been able to pray them, and he was working them in your lives, because he's not bound by time. I mean, he's You know, he created, he's at the center of all time and sees it all. But to me, it felt like this deadness and fakeness in me. For about a year, maybe a little longer, I was able to go to the Roman Catholic Church with Kyle and Michelle. They had a very evangelical type pastor. Nobody knew me there. Nobody expected me to teach them or lead them or be the warrior for them. And I was surprised at how much scripture was read in the service Mm -hmm. and I would just sit there and let it wash over me and there were times where I just sit there and cry and I couldn't have told anybody what was going on in my heart but I would just sit there and cry and then for at least four to five more years I didn't go to church at all I had treasured Sunday mornings alone taking long bike rides um, on the trail. And I needed that time to heal. I was still reading voraciously. I was reading all kinds of books. And I had started um, working out and walking again, and then running and swimming and lifting weights. And like 
I think it was Treva Kuiper. Probably. I think she talked about going to that uh, class that helped her work out her That's grief right. physically. Yes. And I think that God really used that in me because I had, um, it enabled me to kind of gain back some of the damage that menopause had done to me physically. Yeah where I was able to get regular times of exercise outside and doing those rhythmic things, that enabled me to start thinking more logically again about some of these things. But I've also just recently started to read about shame and the effects that it has on us. And one of the things that Kurt Thompson in his great book, The Soul of Shame, which I'm only a little ways into, When he's talking about how the brain works, Mm -hmm. shame, or more specifically, these stories that we are either fed by the father of lies or tell ourselves as a result of our inherent sin patterns, the stories that we tell ourselves as we react to and remember circumstances in our lives of things that happen to us or of our own failures or inadequacies, one of the things that happens is the integration that our brain should have with the emotional centers mm-hmm. and the frontal cortex and all of the reasoning areas of our brain. They get cut off. And so here I was walking through this period of years where I couldn't even really remember so many of these marvelous things that God had done in answer to prayer and as I met with so many people. I couldn't remember them. And if I could, I just chalked them up to, oh, well, we were all expecting God to work. We would gonna, we were going to see something. But now, when you ask me to go back and look in my journals and I remember some of these things, it's like, oh, wow, he was doing a lot. But I couldn't, I couldn't remember any of it during that time. One of the things that I remember the most was I had a rich family life with you and Sam and Bennett and Zoe and Kyle and Michelle and their kids and so busy that I just couldn't think about really serving anywhere else there because it was enough to keep Mm -hmm. me busy. But I remember, you know, when I was on my long bike rides and stuff, I was just really, I missed God. I was really lonely for his fellowship, but I didn't believe in him anymore. And Hebrews said, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So here I am caught in this conundrum. Hmm. I miss that fellowship. But how do I get there? How do I get back there? And how do I get back there if I don't even believe him? And yet still, it's, you know, so weird because at the same time, I'm going through all this and I'm, who am I throwing all these questions to if not to him? (laughs) Sorry. I don't mean to laugh because I know exactly what you're talking about. You're like, I don't believe you. But I have to believe you because I'm talking to you. Or am right. I? <laughs> right. I mean, even I remember one time when Laura came and stayed to the house and she had just gone through a really tough breakup in a relationship with a man. Don't remember if it was a fiance or what. And here she is on spring break in Florida. And she did go to the beach, but she got too sunburned, of course. And so she spent several days sitting on the sofa at our house, unraveling these knots in the fringe of these rayon throws that are so super soft that are at my house. Mm -hmm. But I had made the mistake and washed them in the washing machine. 
And not only did they just got, get knotted up, it was almost like they got welded together. You've, <laughs> you've used those throws, you know. And she sat there and she totally untangled, I believe, one complete throw while she was here. And it was like she was working out all of these knots of her own sorrow during that time. And that has become a picture for me at what I needed to go through and how God was so faithfully patient for me. It was so weird, Amber, because David asked me, he had to ask me at least two dozen times, Sandy, are you a Christian? I would think about it. I would answer him. I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I know that God hasn't left me. Hmm. And I couldn't, I could not make rational sense of that with scripture and with the verse in Hebrews. But the only thing I had was this way down deep part of me that went at the end of a time period in like, I don't know, 2002, 2003, where I had been walking through this same traumatic temptation to me day after day, hours after hour, beating back this one temptation And finally, at one point in time, in being in worship in the college and career group where I helped out, don't know what song they were singing, but I was standing apart where I had been serving, and I start hearing this voice inside me that I recognize as the Holy Spirit saying, I will never leave you or Mm. forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He must have repeated it about eight or ten times, Amber. Yeah. And I just sank to the floor. I'm pretty sure I was sobbing. It's probably, it was a good thing it was a loud uh, song that they were probably Mm. singing. And I just sank to the floor sobbing. But then when I started having all of these doubts, I stopped going to church eventually. I couldn't go back to my church because they, I, my biggest fear was that I would be a fake. I don't think it was afraid I was afraid to tell them what was going on with me because when I met people individually, I would tell them if they asked me, but I couldn't verbalize it. And I was too afraid that I would just, oh, I'm fine, fine. Or if someone would ask me a question, I might answer it without ever pulling up this massive doubt within me. And I just, I was too important to me to be authentic before God. And I felt like I'm going through this time If he's God and he's who he said he is, who I used to believe he was and who he said he was, then he will bring me through this time period. Right. Whether I'm still broken or not, I'm walking through this. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend it's not happening to me. Yeah. I think the other thing that was really a big part of that time period, and I know it's long, I really saw Christ's suffering from a different viewpoint because all the suffering that Kyle and Michelle were going through, all mm-hmm. the suffering I was vibing from the world that my mothers had gone through and the death of their husbands that Sam was going through, I was having a fresh look at the cross from within the lens of Isaiah 53. Mm. Uh, not just that our sin that he took upon himself, but our suffering that he took upon himself yeah. and that the suffering upon himself was largely the result of God's respecting our free will that he gave us so much that he would take that on himself. Because that was ended up being the biggest answer 
that I kept flinging at God. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Why are you stopping this? Yeah. If you're all powerful. Because you can choose, Sandy. Hmm. Because they can choose. Because my son, my son carried this. Yeah. Well, I do feel like we could talk forever because, you know, I love, I love hearing anybody's story, but this one is particularly special to me, but we do have to close up and me asking, so everybody knows, where are you today with Jesus? What does that relationship look like now? It's still being rebuilt. I'm still in that process. I had a key moment in the church that I, a startup church that I attended for several years. It was a really tough time in our business. I was back in the business full time and feeling like my family was being destroyed once again. And th this church uh, had young adults leading the music. And it was generally contemporary Christian and it was loud and it wasn't always just on tune. And I really liked that it was loud. And the pastor would move around where we were seated because we were in a public space that we were renting. And it was a Sunday when I was just really struggling that um, feeling like I was seeing that I was looking at either my husband or my son or my daughter-in-law having a mental breakdown or a physical breakdown because the stress was so bad yeah. and not seeing any solutions in sight. And the pastor came and he stood on my left and I heard inside my heart paraclete, which is the word for the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the advocate that God uses for the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, this loud prayer, this cry of agony started to come out of me to God. I probably scared the heck out of the people right around me <laughs> of calling out to him in a loud voice for my family, for him to save us and rescue us. And that was the first inkling to me that God was going to bring me all the way back mm. to hear his voice like that in the service. And since then, a number of times now during worship service at that church and the Anglican church I'm at now, we'll be singing in worship. And all of a sudden, I've got prayers just pouring out of me for the mm -hmm. church. Yeah. So I'm not all the way back. I'm just getting back into private prayer and intercession in these last months. Again, I've lost a lot of scripture. I'm having to rebuild. But I have this great, great gift of how much God respects our free will mm -hmm. and how much suffering can accomplish and the patience that he had with me to just wait. It was 10 years, yeah. Amber. Yeah. It was a full 10 years to when that prayer poured out of me in the church from the beginning. So it makes it easier for me to, um, I don't rush to fix people quite so much as I used to. And it makes it easier for me to, my heart goes out to the people like Faith Raider, who you had yeah. on your show. And I just pray for them then, because I know that if God brought me through where I realize now that he never left me, he didn't ever leave me. That was the whole thing. He didn't ever leave me. Amen. That I know that he can do tremendous things in lots of lives. Oh, Sandy, you know, I love you. 
I know. <laughs> I love you too. And I'm just, I'm grateful that um, I get to have a front row seat to your family. I really am. <laughs> Sorry that um, this is a side probably a lot of people don't see, but um, I'm a part of a family that's generous and forgiving and um, truly does love its people. And I'm grateful for that. So thank you. I I tell God all the time how how blessed I feel for the daughters-in-law that he's given to our sons. And I, if there's one prayer I know he's answered, it was that prayer that I started praying when they were preschoolers, that their wives would love God more than they loved their husbands and that they would love their husbands a lot. And uh, God is faithful. Yeah, he is. He is. And like you said, the waiting, it's long, but it, he's still faithful. So yeah, pray the prayers, right? Pray the prayers. Just cry out to him. Yeah. Don't care. Don't worry about how fancy they are. You know, just scream those prayers out at times when you need to. Yes. You know, he hears them all. Amen. <clears throat> well, thank you. Thanks, Amber. Oh, friends. And that is a glimpse into the faithfulness of God over a lifetime that is not complete. His grace truly is enough, even when we only see it in hindsight. If you want to read the blog entries Sandy mentioned, view the books she suggested, or listen to related episodes, go now to graceenoughpodcast.com backslash show notes and search episode 84. Everything we talked about today can be found there. I look forward to meeting back here next Tuesday for episode 85 with Marcus Watson, Betrayed and Beloved. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.